So, but I, I couldn't breathe. And I remember going, bang! The, the fifth round, bang! I went like I was shot. And I was stumbling and I just grabbed the corner of the brick wall. And I pulled myself, boom! Made a right turn and bang! The next one goes, he shoots the next one. Boom, I just get, I had to stop from shooting because those bulls went right by my ear when the fuck guy's trying to get a headshot. I pull myself around. Now I'm, I'm right back on Washington Street. So now remember this, the one cop emptied his gun, right? Remember that story, emptied his gun. So then they come back and they're really pissed off now. Did that kid come down? He has to be here. No, I don't know. And she's trying to throw them out. She's trying to throw you if I find him in here. And here he comes running. I hear him coming running and I'm trapped down here. And there he is. Why, you little bitch. I spoke to you like a son. Get up here, you I'll kill you. So I start walking up the staircase. This guy's like 250. Bang! He kicks me. You know when fucking saw stars. Boom, broke. To this day, my bottom teeth gone. On concrete staircase, get up, get up, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, get up. And this is not the guy that shot all the bulls, the other guy. So now what I found out earlier is that when they started showing their credentials, Intercot police took those two Puerto Rican guys into custody, into the into the precinct while this search was going on. So they were in the bullpen of that, that precinct. So, so... Get up, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. And he's cocking the gun and he's dropping the hammer and he's got, get the fuck up. Get up here again, you little fuck you guy. And then he starts going like this. I got 20 years. Just Joe Bo's got 25 years. We we got 72 years of service for you, allows you four years. Get up here, get the fuck up here. So now I'm crawling, I'm, I, I, I don't know what's going on. And I get to the top. And as I get to the top, my hero shows up. When somebody tells me he killed 200 people, I'm saying, well, where's the 200 bodies? And when, of course, we know what he did to them. We know that he liked the place in um, Queens where not only do you get to get rid of the body, you get to get rid of the crime scene. All right, just to give the viewers, you know, a little taste of what's to come before we get into your backstory... What was your relationship with Roy DeMeo? My relationship, well, first of all, I'd like to thank everyone that contacted Sean to get me on the show. Thumbs up. Thank you all. God bless you. Um, well, my interaction with Roy was really um, prior to him becoming what he became. This was at the end of 1973. And just about all of 1974, when Roy DeMeo was nothing but a wannabe gangster. And we did several crimes together, as you probably saw on my YouTube channel, the FBI informant, Kevin Moore. Um, I didn't think, well, first of all, you want me to tell you the story when I first laid eyes on Roy DeMeo? Yeah, we, 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 we like people to tell long stories, never cut a long story short on this channel. Oh. Oh, you're going to be sorry you said that. 
<laughs> All my friends, my friends over at uh, NYC Crime Spot, Brett, he was giving me, he texted me, listen, just stay focused because a lot of times when I tell these stories, it's like a tree and it's branches. Sometimes I start telling one story and leads me into the next and me having ADD, I'm be going over here when I should have been going over there. So if I start doing that, you want please ring me in and say, wait a minute, get back on track. Because I will. That's that's just what happens to me. So let's let's talk about the first seconds that I met Roy DeMeo, who was a nobody. And I met him. I was working for Joe Bikini, who was a somebody, who was a boss of the Lucchese crime family. Now in 1974. I did not know that. I was a, just a car thief. Uh, I was on parole. I just got out of prison. And I, and I started doing stealing cars again. And that's what I did. So um, I didn't, I never knew that Joey was a connected, a mob guy until I found out he was dead. And, and that's, that's another story that I did a YouTube channel on. So let's talk about, so now I'm a kid. I'm working in a body shop that Joey Bikini has. It's not really a body shop. It's a, a warehouse with loading docks where uh, Roy DeMeo, uh, Chris, whatever his last name was, uh, would bring stolen cars from JFK. Now, this place was located in South Jamaica, Queens, and back in the 70s, I don't know what it is now, but back in the 70s, that was a ghetto. It was an industrial area with just a few houses. It was just a, a ghetto. But it was very close to JFK, which is where they stole and hijacked vehicles. So, so let me get to the first time I met him. So I'm working for Joey for $150 a week. I'd steal cars for him at night and whatever we needed, you know. So I'm in the office of that so-called body shop that he had, and I'm sitting on a couch. Uh, up against the wall. It was a long, it looked like a shoebox, the office. It was a long office. It had one window up on the top left-hand corner of the office, a small window, but it was kind of dark, trying to set the scenes. Dingy, you know, a shop-like atmosphere. And all of a sudden, the door swings open, and there's this guy. So the door is on the far end of the office, and I am at the other far end, sitting right across from Joey, who's behind a desk. Now, at this time, Joey Bikini was 42 years old, right? And I'm 20. Kevin, there's a little something beeping in the background. Is it, is it possible to turn that off? Yes, hang on. Hang on. Thank you. Well, I got a bad compressor in my... Okay, so anyway, is that better? So anyway, sitting down... We're just talking, the door swings open, and it's Roy DeMeo. And he comes walking, as he's walking down towards us, he's looking at me like I got three heads. <laughs> and then he goes to Joey, and he doesn't, I guess he didn't realize that Joey and I were, were, were pretty tight. And he goes, hey, what's this? Like, what's this? He pointed at me. And he goes, well, then Joey got really, really mad, but he didn't say anything. He goes, 
He goes, he's, he goes, that's my kid. Like all mafia guys, they all had the kids. They all had kids. It's like in the movie, The Goodfellas. And he, he goes, that's my kid. He goes, hey, take a walk. Oh. And I've known Joey since 1971. This is 1973. And I've always known him to be a gentleman and, a, and, and, and low key. Well, that 42-year-old man who was overweight at the time, he, I, to this day, I don't know how he did it. He flew over the desk. He slapped him in the face. Pop, like, you know, it's a bee slap. You know, when real men fight, you know, when, when, when I slap you, and that means I'm looking at you as you're just a bee. You're just a bee, smack, smack. So he smacks him, smack, smack. And Joey, like all the mob guys, always wore expensive leather uh, uh, Italian shoes. And and um, and if you know anything about them, they're all slippery. So Joey, so Roy turns around and he starts running towards the door. He's running to the door, and Joey is just infuriated that he just not only disrespected me. I I, I was just a, like the prop, you know. But the fact that he told. His kid take a walk and what's what's that? You know, fucking. He was like, so then Joey. Now I'm now now don't forget. I'm, I'm 20 years old. What do I know? I was just don't be kid. I mean, I I mean that was probably even immature for 20 at that time. So, but I'm I'm watching this. I'm somehow they have the best seat in the house. I'm on this couch and I'm just watching this. And so what do I do? I get I get up as he's running towards the door. He opens the door up. Joey tries to kick him in the ass and he slips on it. His legs went out. <laughs> <He fell down. laughs> I mean, if you can picture a mob boss, I mean if you I mean if you can picture this, he slips, he falls down, and and now I'm now I'm there. So I go to pick him up. Get the fuck up. Then he gets up. Roy gets into his Cadillac and he, and he takes off. Now, at that time, for sure, Roy had one murder under his belt, which occurred on, in July of 1973 in Queens where he whacked this Jewish guy that was in, in the porno business. I forget the guy's name. He, he just shot him in the middle of the afternoon in a parking lot of a diner on Northern Boulevard. He just capped him and, and that's it. Okay, so so at that time, we I knew he was a murderer. I mean, well, I didn't know that at that time, but looking back now, see, a lot of things that I, I have a big mouth, you know, and and um, I'm, I'm sure you being from London, you know about Irish people, right? We, we all, we have, we're noted for certain things and one of them is that we love to fight. I, I love to fight. I always did love to fight. I always probably, even today at 60, I'll be 69 in April. I got a big mouth. And one day <laughs> I don't got broken teeth and scars on my head because, but anyway, so um, where was I? Uh, so um, he I fell was, down. He got, he got up. He falls down. He gets up. Roy goes, goes away. So now for whatever reason, uh, I think I have a good idea of why Joey was involved with this guy. He clearly didn't like him. He jumped into his ass the first second he said the wrong thing, and I just happened to be that uh, that that prop, if if you will. Everyone that walked in to Joey Bikini's office 
and they were all mob guys. Looking back now, they all looked like mob guys. I mean, mob guys don't carry credentials like the FBI. You know, there were so many people at that time. If they were Italian, they were all connected. They were they would all run that game. So what what did I know? What did I know? But everyone that came into jo Joey's shop when I was there, and of course when they come in, I leave. Uh, he would. He, Joey would hug him. Joey was just the greatest guy. Everybody, he would kiss you. He, he was like a, one of those Italian, you know, Italians of known for that. They grab you, they kiss you. They, like Joey, Joey used to, I always had a good head of hair. And look, look, I'm, I'm 69 and I, it's real my real hair. I, I only had a good head of hair. And poor Joey Bracchini didn't. I don't know why he just didn't shave it like Mr. Clean, like you. Like, why did it? I mean, it was a little spotty. If you look at some of the pictures, they're like, well, we to get rid of that. We'll get rid of the funeral director look. He used to always come in with the trench coat and the, because he really was a mobster. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? So, yeah, so that was, so now I wind up, Joey's doing business with him, which I really think have, had to do with murder, is what it was. It's what it was now. And as we go on, you're going to know why and what I'm going to do about it today. So that one video that you were watching where I finally figured it out that whose car I stole that day was Nino Gadget. <laughs> that was like a big, that guy was a big to do back then. And they had me steal that guy's car right under his nose at 11 o'clock at night. So, um, again, where am I? Um, Roy DeMeo. Okay, so Roy DeMeo. So now that took place. I witnessed it. And he sure as hell didn't like me walking around with that story. He hated me. He blamed me that I didn't do, I didn't even say a word. Not one word came out of my mouth. I'm sitting in the, and it was all, but he blamed me and he hated me. How many times I had arguments with that guy and he looked like, he he gave me the look, right? So the, when I say the look, if you, you've been in prison, you know when you're confronting somebody, you know by the eyes the, when they're ready to throw down. You, you know that. And how? so that's what I thought it was. I go, okay, this guy's like 15 years older than me. Uh, I'm not afraid to fight that guy. I'll beat his ass. I'm, I'm not afraid of him. But who knew? that those looks weren't, I'm gonna throw down and beat your ass. Those looks, well, give me the butcher knife, I'm gonna cut his throat and chop him up and throw him in the friggin' dump over there. So, I mean, who knew? I, I don't know. And then it was several times, like when we used to go to that place under the 59th Street Bridge to dump those cars that had bodies in them, and I'm gonna get to what we're gonna be doing in April about that. Um, I, I don't know how I got away with not, being one of his victims. I, I mean, I, I have a big mouth. I mean, I, 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 but who knew that that look meant he wants to kill me? Who knew? I, I didn't know. Kevin, for people here in England who are not familiar with Roy, could you just describe how many people he went on to kill? Okay, so there are two high-profile murderers I was involved with. One of them was a guy by the name of Joy, uh, Joy. Roy, Joy, put, put that word with his name, uh, Roy DeMeo, who was a, uh, I think it was, what was he, with the Genovese crime family? He, 
he was he was he was a mobster. He was a big earner for the mob. Paul Castellano, he worked with, and so um, they. Now I don't know who they are. I've worked for law enforcement for thirty years, and I'm well aware of how it works. So how to, so some people say, who knows who they are? Certainly is in law enforcement that he killed two hundred people. And a lot, so not only was he a mobster, high earner, and a very, very smart guy. You know, I've always been very, even at age of 20, I was, brought, I, was, I was on the streets of New York City on my own since I was 14 years old. Um, and um, I'm street savvy. I mean, that look at and they talk with this funny accent. I, I don't know if people think I'm stupid or what. But um, um, he was with I, the Gambino crime. He's with the Gambino crime family. With Gambino, on, on, yeah. On There's five families in New York, and sometimes they yeah. switch from one family, like Sammy the Bull switched from one family. I, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't know anything about the mafia. I put a couple of them in prison, but I, I really didn't. I wasn't really interested in the workings of the mafia. All I knew is that they were in the construction business. They were in the garbage business, and they was they they would they would kill themselves. I mean, if you lived in New York City in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even part of the 90s before John Gotti went away, we saw all of these stories on the six and eleven o'clock news. We we saw them. Joe Banana uh, uh, murdered or blew up Tony Gumbats or some. You know, it was like New Yorkers really didn't give a shit because it really didn't. They their crimes never really affected New Yorkers. And they usually kill themselves. You know, they blow each other up to all this crazy crap. So I was never, I'm not a mob historian. I'm working with a guy right now, now by the name of Brett from NYC Crime Spot. This guy is a, a mob historian. And, he, and I found out so many things about, not only about myself, about Joey Bracchini, Roy DeMeo, and now just recently, uh, Nino Gadget. That I'm finding out all these things that, that that happened a half a century ago, like things that are just blowing my mind right now. But uh, what what's the, what stood out about Roy? Didn't he have a particular grisly way of getting rid of bodies? Yes, the first. All right, if you go on Roy DeMeo's Wikipedia site, there'll be something written about some Italian guy that wound up becoming um, a mafia informant later on. That guy wrote in 1974, Roy DeMeo took a corpse to a garage in Queens to dispose of. Now all you gotta do is click on that and you'll see the guy's name and the thing. Well, you gotta ask yourself something whether it was in Brooklyn or whether it was in Manhattan, Brett from NYC Crime Spot told me he thinks he knows where it is, where they whacked somebody in a warehouse in Manhattan and then drove that body to a Queens body shop to dispose of. Well, in that time frame, I worked for Joey Bikini. He had a body shop in Queens. And I was asked to throw a 1971 Lincoln Town Car 
in the East River. And they told me it was an insurance job. And they were paying me, I think, 500 bucks to get rid of the car so that it would never be found. So I get into that car and I see the ignition switches pulled out. There's a screwdriver in it. And I look over to the glove box. The glove box door is broken. I tried to close it. It was broken. It wouldn't, wouldn't close because they broke open it. And in those cars, they had a yellow button and it said trunk release with a little button that was gone. And they said, so Joey says, and Roy says, take this to your, I had a favorite spot, which was right under the 59th street bridge on Vernon Boulevard, where you just drove through the bushes, you went in there, you threw the car in. And a great part about that spot is that once the car hits the water, it doesn't just sink there. The tide is very strong in the East river and it took it. And I was about 150 feet from the 59th street bridge on the South side. And that took that car. Now I, now, so let me tell you what happened. So the last words out of Joey's mouth, cause I was always a hot rider. I always had fast cars. I, I, I was just, you know, I, 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 they almost passed a law about me about scoff laws, not paying their tickets. Cause I had 77 of them in one year. And there's an article on my website, on my YouTube channel. You guys could check it out. So um, once the car gets in there, it starts traveling at the speed of like a jogger. Now, I'm in the car. The last words out of Joey Bikini's mouth is, hey, whatever you do, no speeding. And he smacks me. You got me? No speeding. No speeding. I'm in the car. I'm in. Smacks me again. No speeding. Calm down, dude. It's just a fucking stolen car. I'm not stopping anyway. Had a big 460 motor in it. I wasn't stopping for no six. And back then, the New York City Police Department ran around with full-size cars, Galaxy 500s, Fury 3s, with a big straight six-cylinder. Them, them cars couldn't get out of their own way. And I have a 460, 390 horsepower, whatever the fuck it was. So anyway, of course I'm going to find speed. So I get in the car. And I get on the Van Wick, and I'm going towards the 59th Street Bridge to throw this car in the, uh, uh, into, the, uh, into the East River, thinking it's just an insurance job. And what an insurance job is, to all your viewers that may not know about it, if you have a car and it's breaking down or you lost your job, you can't afford to pay the note every month. You theft the car out, you recover the money from the insurance company, and everybody's a happy camper. So what better way to throw it in the friggin' river and it sinks and never be recovered? Okay, so let me ask you one question. Yes. One question. You say throw it in the river all, you know, casually. What What do you mean throw it in the river? Is it is the car rolling down a hill into, into well, the river? That, that, that's a really good question. So so there are different cars. Like there are some cars that you can just take a stick on the gas pedal and rev the engine and dump it. But Ford... Lincoln Mercury cars, they had like a neutral safety switch where you, you couldn't dump it. It would you, you couldn't dump it until it was only like 600 RPM. So anyway, so that's a good point. It depends if you went there in the winter and the ground would because it was dirt. It was a little bit of concrete, but it was mainly dirt. I also went there on my YouTube channel and I filmed it. I actually stopped my car on the 59th Street Bridge on the that that one lane thing going into Queens. 
stopped, got out, and I leaned over the 59th Street Bridge while everybody's blown out. They're thinking I'm jumping off the bridge. And I filmed it, an aerial view. I filmed it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. you know, and I'm there filming the thing. <laughs> so you can see that on my YouTube channel. So, um, yeah, so what you have to do then, you have to get the car, and I, and I pl put plenty of cars in that area, plenty of them. One or two of them did actually get stuck because at the end of the pier, if you don't have enough momentum and the front wheels go off, go, go off the edge and the frame hits, it's going to get stuck. Then you got to yeah. steal another car and ram it into the water. So <laughs> you have to, and that, this is going to be another thing when Roy did it. Okay. So let me tell you. So, so what happened? So you have to put it in gear, get in between the, the, the door jam and the steering wheel and push and maybe maybe like 60 feet from the edge and you got to get it going so usually when it's in gear the momentum will take it but if it's been raining and the mud and the, the dirt is all turned into mud you need to really push that thing and i'm going to get to that story what roy did so anyway as i'm driving to my favorite spot that's what i called it my my favorite spot my favorite spot it was cold so i roll up the windows on the on the parkway and like almost immediately, I start smelling that smell. And there's only one thing that smells like that. And that's a decomposing body. So now I realize, oh shit, there's a body in this car. In this and let me tell you something why every time you saw a newsreel in the 70s, 80s and 90s, where the mafia guy pulls up to court in Brooklyn or in the Southern District in New York, they pull up, guess what they all pull up in? Black Lincoln Town Cars. And why would they be such a big fan of Lincoln Town Cars or Fords? Is because they had the biggest, you could put four fucking, you could put four bodies in them. You could put four bodies in those trunks. That's how big, if you take the, if you take the spare tire out and you got that one shelf, bing, that's one shelf there. Even if the guy was 250, 280, you could get at least three people in that trunk. And, and and as I went there, I went, that freaking truck is going pretty low. And I'm telling you, now this story, this story doesn't end in 1974. This story is going to end in April of 2023. Remember I said that. April 2023 is when it's going to end. So I smell it. And I go, I, I knew what it was. That's like... It's like 40 minutes from Jamaica to the 59th Street Bridge. And I'm smelling it and I'm gagging and I'm going, fuck, what up, what, what? So now I'm like halfway between the, the shop. Like, should I just take this shit back? And, but but it's, it, it's going to be as far to go back as it would be to go forward. So I just kept driving and I did not speed. <laughs> I, tell you, I did not speed. I was like an old lady. I get, I get to the spot. And um, 80 feet away, put it in gear, and I run with it, and it goes right in. Perfect. Now, the Lincoln Town Car in 1972 had to have been the heaviest car on the planet. The Europeans didn't have anything that was that big and that heavy. Maybe the Mercedes 600, maybe, I, I don't know. But it was a heavy car. And I got so nervous. And when you go into that, that uh, 
that property there where you'll see in, under the bridge is a some kind of a historic building that's there today. They re, they re, uh, refurbished it. So it was a pretty long. It was I would say maybe three four hundred feet, and I put the thing in gear. Full well known, there's a dead body in this thing. I got I got to get out of here. I'm being followed by an, another guy, and I run with it. It goes off, perfect. But I forgot to shut the lights off. The high beams were on, and of course the tail lights were on. The Lincoln goes in, and you would think five thousand pound big car goes right down right away. No, it doesn't. It slowly sinks nose first, and then that tide just took it. And I was like, oh, and I'm looking around for like a boat. I mean, here go, he, the lights are on. It lit up the whole. It, it lit up a whole river green. It was like a big, like a freaking alien ship. Was like, who, 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 what the hell that thing is? It was going down like this. And I go, oh, shit. So, so it goes on. So as it's going under the, the 59th Street Bridge, with no sign of going down, I, get, I run down, get into the car that I was in with this guy, Minsky. And I go, wait a minute, go down, go down. And then we go on the other side, which is a park. It's a baseball field on the north side of the 59th Street Bridge on the Queens side. And here it comes. <laughs> and it goes right down. And I go, holy shit, the lights are still on. I could see the taillight. And we did a little research. We, we did a little research. And we found out that under the 59th Street Bridge, the East River is 35 to 40 feet, which is exactly how I saw it. So we go back. I get my car and now I'm going home to the Bronx. So I took the 59th street. So what I would do, I went right back there, like some three hours later after we put the car in and it was, I could still see the red glowing taillights and the headlights. So um, that was it, it was successful. And of course in the, in the morning um, I went to the shop and Joey was all nervous and shit. And I said, yeah, went without a hitch. Now, I, 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 I so badly at this point want to tell you what I'm going to do in April. I'm so badly want it, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick to this script here. Two days later, Joey calls me and says, I need you to come down right away. I got, I, you want to make money. That was just, that's very, you want to make, come. I want you here in 20 minutes. I, I lived in the Bronx. There's no way I can get the South Jamaica with 20 But Joey was going, I, I mean, I, I just love that guy. I, you know, I, I just, you know, people could say whatever they want about him, but he was good to me and that's all that matters to me. And that's the way I'm going to remember him. And um, I, I miss him. Get down here in 20 minutes. So an hour and a half later, I show up. And he messed my hand up. So, Popped across the street was a 1972 black four-door LTD. Remember what I told you before about Ford products, Fords and Lincoln? They all have that identical big D. I wish you could like Google it just so you could see the interior of a trunk. Maybe you should do that before you put this up. Just so you see what I'm saying. Four bodies, no problem. You wouldn't even have to push it down. So I should be laughing about this. Somebody's that. So... I was a car thief, and so anything that had, and I, not only was I a car thief, I was a car enthusiast. I was car crazy. My mother and father, that kid's car crazy. I was just car crazy. So I know everything about 
cars. And I used to steal a bunch of rental cars from Econo Rental Car on 43rd Street and 30th Avenue in Astoria. I used to rob all the rental cars, used to take their tires, battery, and spare tires and sell them. I used to steal them. So, so anyway, so I'm very I'm well aware of the rental cars. In that time period, license plates were four numbers and two letters. If the first letter started off with a Z, that's a rental car. Every car that had the letter Z in it that starts off, that's a rental car. So I go there the next day. I'm in the middle of the street outside the shop. I didn't even get to go in the shop. Roy and Joey's there. And they go, we got another, we got another car for you. No, it was a, it was a thousand. It was a thousand I got paid. And he says, you want to make another grand? I go, yeah. He says, take that to your spot and get rid of it. So now I was, you know, looking back, I was a pretty smart kid for a kid. And of course, I never told Joey that I knew that there was a body in that car. I, I, I just, I just never did. I just wanted to keep my hundred. He was paying me $150 a week. And back then in 1974, that was a lot of money. And what did I do? I did a lot of nothing. My, my whole job, you know what my whole job was? Making sure that when, when Joey's ass hit that toilet seat, it was immaculate. That's what my job was. There better not be no pee spots on the floor. I want to let, so that was like my primary job. <laughs> To the toilet, the fucking janitor. So, so I didn't say anything to him. The three of us are standing in the middle of the street. That car is parked across the street, and I take one look at it, and I know it's a rental car. I, it's got a Z on it. So Joey tells me, "I want you to get rid of it." That's another. They call it give up. A give up is when somebody gives up their car to do an insurance. They want it to disappear so they can collect the insurance money. He goes, that's a give up. He goes, you're going to make a grant. He says, give him a grant to Roy. Roy gives me the grant. Now, the money, if you go 1974 money to today, I think that's like $4,500. That's a lot of money to driving a car 30 miles and doing what I do anyway. So he gives me the $1,000. Joey's to my left. Roy's right behind me. And I go, you know what, Joey, with due respect, thanks, but no thanks. And I hand Roy the $1,000 back, which was a very hard thing to do. But after smelling that smell for 20 minutes, and I, fully knowing what I had in the car, how I would have went to fucking prison if I would have got pulled over in that car. So I just, I, I just passed on it. It's the first time that I ever told Joey Bikini no. And now, if you think of Joey Bikini and how his mind worked, when you were with him, even as a porter, I was, and uh, I, I, what do they call it? Moonlighted as a car thief at night for him. When I said no, that was a big mistake. That was a big mistake. So he just gave me a look that he never gave me before. And he goes to Roy, give him the money back. Roy gives me the money. And I go, so now I, 
Now I'm like, what did I just get myself in? I know damn well what's in, I know that's not a give up. It's a rent a car. I know damn well what's in that trunk. I know. So I go, you know, Joey, I don't feel comfortable. I, you, that, no, 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 no. I want you to take him to your favorite spot. And I want you to show him how you did the last one and go right now. Damn. I said, I'm not touching that car. Not touching that car. Show him what to do. Right. So, that yeah. was such a cool story. No, now here's Roy again. Now Roy is like, what the fuck is he scared So, you know, so now let, let's stop right there. So Roy was a car thief and Joey Bikini was in the porno business. And he got locked up. Like he got 48 felonies on him for just big bullshit uh of uh, obscene uh, stuff, they passed laws in New York, and he was getting he was getting tired of the shop that he owned on Forty Second Street. It was a, uh, magazines and movies and stuff like that. And by the way, Joey was the first porno guy connected to the mob that sold gay porn. He was that was his name <laughs> claim to fame. Yeah, he said, "I don't care what they let's try gay porn." And he was making a lot of money. So, so anyway, so um. Where was I? They said to you go show him how to do it. So, oh yeah. So I told him. I said, okay. I don't have. I. I don't. I'm not touching that card, Joe. You don't want to. You're not touching it. Tell him what to do, and then he goes to him. You do it. So like I'm almost like his boss. <laughs> so we go there. I go there, and I'm driving my 1969 yellow. Super big, like like it couldn't be a brighter thing. So, um, the area where this is today looks completely different. It's got uh, apartment buildings, but back then it was like a junkyard area. You would see people would dump their washing machines and used tires. So, but the cool thing about it is, it had it has the same gates as it has today. If you guys just look at my video, you'll see. It has these chain link gates that open up and you will pull out, pull out. So back then, somebody broke the one gate door. So what you had to do is drive right in. And back then, even though this was wintertime, the, the shrubbery, even though it didn't have no leaves, it just was like so really thick that you had to pierce. You had to drive through it like a, like a car wash almost. And it would scratch the car and you would go in. And then as soon as you pass those bushes, they would close like a curtain. That's what Roy said. So I, so I pull up, I get out of the car, I go right back there. He, Roy drives the Ford right through the picket and I get out. Now it was winter time and it was muddy. There was plenty of mud. Now to your question, when you, how do you get it in? So now you got to really push that thing up to speed because it's getting resistance from the, and don't forget too, the Ford had a 351 Cleveland motor in it, or maybe even a 302, where the um, where the Lincoln had the biggest motor for Ford make, which was a 460 cubic inch with a bunch of torque, boom, put it in and it, and it pushed it. But the Ford didn't have that. The Ford had a little piece of crap motor. So I says, okay, so I get him about maybe 80 feet from the edge and I tell them you got to make sure that you have enough speed so that when it the fr front wheels go off 
it doesn't hit the chassis that it has enough momentum to push it in the river because I'm not pushing it with my car. I bought my car there. So I'm not pushing this shit in there. And then that means I'm going to have to steal another car and push it. In. So I said, you got to get it. Got to get the speed up. So back then, so see this white shirt. So Roy used to always wear these button down dress shirts that went over his pants because Roy always carried a, a revolver. 30, I think it was a 38. He always had, always had a gun on him. So He's got the white, he's got the white, he wasn't, he wasn't dressed right for this deal. He's got the white dress shirt, the pants, and the, the Italian shoes. All those mob guys had those shoes. Back then, I think they were like $500 a pair. They were expensive shoes. So I go, okay. So now, once we go through there, it was a full moon lit evening, right under the 59th Street Bridge. I mean, it's, it's, it's scenic. It's beautiful over there. And um, I said, okay. Gotta put the car in gear, and and the car started to go very, very little because the road, the 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 the, the ground was muddy and muddy, but and there was puddles. So at nighttime, Sean, you can't tell how deep a puddle is. You know, it may be inches, it may be a foot. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, he puts it in there. So he goes. Okay, help me, help me push it. I said, I'm not pushing shit. That's not the deal. Help me, help me. He's pushing the freaking thing. And then all of a sudden now, so he's in the he's in between the door, the door jam, and he's got his right hand on the wheel and he's pushing it. It's going all right. It's going okay. <laughs> it's the puddle. Boom. And his right foot almost gets run over to this day. The fucking that thing happened. 50 years ago, and every time I think of it. <laughs> so now, the car drives past, he almost pulls, I said, watch, watch your leg. He pulls his leg, he gets up. I said, no, keep pushing it. So now he's now he's at the trunk, and he's pushing this thing. And I go, fast. So now I'm like his, his, his coat, faster, faster, just go like this. And he's the and he's pushing it. Boom! Boom! It, it just barely made it. It just barely made it off the top. Off the top. And then I go, oh shit. Now remember I told you about the bushes and how they close like a curtain? Now I'm back with this. Now I'm going, okay, I'm going to have to fight this guy right here. <laughs> that wasn't the deal. Now he's yelling at me. He's got mud on his chin and he doesn't realize that he's full of fucking mud. So he, so he, so he's yelling at me. And I thought that wasn't the deal. And then I go, what? And I go, look, and I start laughing. And he was like so fucking mad. But he had a good sense of humor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am going i got to give it to him. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like ready to run and just leave him. <laughs> so I go, look, look at you, look at you. He used to call me a man. Fuck, let's get the fuck out of here. So. We, it was so funny. <laughs> so now he gets in the car. He goes, oh, this is the greatest place. It's got the curtain. They can't see. Once you're in, you can do it. You can kill people, do whatever. So, so we met, I bang a U-turn. I go back. And we tried to see the car, where the car was. And it, it sunk down. Because this time, I told them to crack open the doors so that the, 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 it wouldn't seal. So the last I saw that car, it was at the bridge. And um, it sunk. Okay, now, so 
I went there in April. The time I are you having a good time? I'm, I'm like, this is I'm on the edge of my seat, Kevin. I can't see. Put blow that mic. I want to see your face. I want to there you go. You're smiling. <laughs> there you go. There's your whole face. So, so I go there. I fly. I, I live in California. I go back to New York and I filmed it and got a drone. I put a drone up there. I crashed a friggin' drone. I knows how to fly a drone. And um, the Lincoln, the first one, when I did the video, I could point to where that car went down. And again, the car weighs 5,500 pounds. The motor and transmission, another 12, at least 1,200 pounds, those two items. Cast iron isn't going to dissolve. So, you know, and I'm a pretty good swimmer. So I'm looking at it maybe 60 feet offshore. And now, and when I went back the night that happened, I could clearly see that it wasn't that deep. You could, you could see, you couldn't see the car, but you could see the headlights. And taillights are only five watts. And I, and I could still see the taillights and I left the high beams on it. So it was still glowing. It was still glowing. <laughs> so I went there. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. There's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. The other day, I had to cancel free Amazon Prime memberships. I had a personal on the UK, Amazon, US, Amazon company account, US, Amazon, UK, Amazon. Do you understand how hard it is to cancel these bloody things? That's why Rocket Money makes these things so much easier, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Just like with me, with my four Amazon Prime memberships, you may find out you've been at least double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you've got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, Rocket Money. Links in the description box. Cheers. And I took this finger and I told my audience that the car is right there. I could take a rock and hit it. So now what, what, what's going to happen now? So it's been, so I got um, Quentin Walker of uh, Darkness with um, <laughs> the podcast, Darkness. He's going to kill me. I don't remember his stuff. Anyway, can you put a little name on Darkness Underneath, Darkness Underneath podcast. So um, everybody was, so now, this, so, so I'm watching YouTube and I see this commercial about the five best underwater drones. Five <laughs> best underwater drones. I didn't even know they made that shit. So they got these drones. They got 300 feet of cable and you put it in. They got 4K. Uh, cameras and they got big LED lights. Don't forget, this is only 40 feet. Now we Googled it and found out that it's it's only 40 feet under the 59th Street Bridge. So on April, to all my viewers out there and all his viewers, your viewers out there, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to meet Brett from NYC Crime Spot and Quentin Walker of Doctors Underneath. And we're going there and we're going to put that friggin' drone, water, underwater drone, and I'm gonna put it right there. 
I'm going to put it right where I know the car is because I saw it. Now, let me, let me explain something why I still believe that car is there. And you can agree with me or disagree. The greatest part about my favorite spot is that if, it, if there was no current, you could only put so many cars in there before they would pile up. But the great part about that is it took the car and it went maybe 300 feet. Now, where the car, the Lincoln, came to rest, I don't know where the Ford is, but where the Lincoln came to rest is a New York City park, a baseball field, that has concrete uh, wall with a tubular fence, about maybe four feet high. So it would be impossible, and then has rocks, rocks from the shore to the um, water. There's rock, so there's no way, there is no way for a car to go through and land there. There is no way. So if there's no way, then there would be no reason for the police to go into that area and look for cars. So I think this is gonna be a pretty cool video when I, we're, we're waiting for April because I want the daylight savings time to work for us. And we're gonna go there if I gotta get a freaking boat. If I go, no matter what I gotta do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And I, 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 can, I can only imagine seeing that car after it's been parked 50 years underwater with presumably a dead body in it. Wow. I mean, I mean if that doesn't, I, and I'm surprised that out of all the stories, there's plenty of stories. I know I watched, I, I you know, I of course checked you out. I never heard of you before. I'm sorry. But when, when my friends told me, wow, this guy is a, who you are, you got a book written about, you know, all this stuff. So um, I watched your channel and the most of the ones that I saw was of, of prison stories. So I thought, yeah, that's I go, but I have a great prison story you know, and you know what it is, right? Which one? Well, what what happened to me on the way to Elmira Correctional Facility? Yeah, let's do that one. You want to do that one? Are you finished okay. with Roy for now? Huh? You finished with no, Roy? Here's the, here's the way. Here's the way I gotta do things. I, I, I'm a guy with ADD, so and and when I when I wrote this book here, I don't know if you can see it. When I when this book was written. It was written by Emmy award-winning writer, Charles Kipps. I mean, if you Google him, you'll see what kind of big shot he is. So when I was writing that book, um, although my memory is great about what happened, but chronologically, it's hard to say, did that story happen before this one and so on? So to answer your question, I'm about halfway done with Roy DeMeo. I, I, I always, I, I didn't like, I don't like doing his um, stories on him for the simple fact that I know that's what he would want. He's a narcissistic, that's what these people want. They want to go, go, you know, and 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 don't forget, in, in a way, I too am a victim of Roy DeMeo because he murdered my friend. And not too long ago, because of my YouTube channel, I got to talk to his daughter, Jackie Puccini about when I went to see her dad at the, at the cemetery. And so um, this guy had like four kids. Joey had four kids and a beautiful wife. Let me just say this about my friend Joey. His, his, Jackie was seven years old at the time her father was murdered. Joey's wife was his age, both born in 1933. 
And as I'm talking to Jackie, because um, when I went to a, went to the grave site, I saw that his wife Marilyn died in 2016, 40 years after Joey did. And I learned that that woman didn't so much as even look at another man for the rest of her life, 40 years. She stayed devoted to her husband. Now, now that of course gives kudos to the type of woman she is. But if Joey was a piece of shit, you think she would have stayed loyal to him for the rest of her life? No, no. That's all I got to say. And, and that's why I'm loyal to him. But um, are, you, are, you, are you able to say uh, why Roy, you know, was ordered to kill him or? Well, in one of my videos, so yeah. So the story goes that Joey, now, okay, so let, let's, you've been in jail, right? Sean, you've been in jail, been in Arizona State Penitentiary, right? Sheriff, Sheriff Joe Pyle's jail. Oh, I was there. It's on Madison, Madison Street. I used Madison to live in Scottsdale. Jail? Yeah. So let me tell you about my Arizona story. So I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, like a dumbass. I got. Oh, a no. I, I, I was I think, there. I was there. So I'm Madison. I think, let, let's let's finish Roy first. Let's finish Mayo Roy. Copa, is it Mayo Copa County Jail? Is that? Yes. What it is? Yes, yes. yes. I was yeah, in the yeah, pods. Yeah. I have the pods. So anyway, so where was I again? See, I told you. <laughs> Just go on. You, you were you were telling us. Why what? Roy was ordered to kill your friend. Oh, oh no, no. Roy was not ordered to kill my friend. No, no, no. So the, the story is, so, oh, okay. Getting back to you were in jail. If you get challenged by anybody, if they so much as say, call you the B word or, and you don't fight like right there, you're a punk. And the next thing you know, you'll be bent over in somebody's shower. So, so. That's that's that has always been my mindset because I was raised in the South Bronx, a predominantly uh, black and Puerto Rican neighborhood. But so anyway, Roy hated me because I witnessed what Joey did to him and punked him out. So I don't look at Roy's a killer with a gun. You know, it takes two and a half pounds of pressure to pull the trigger. I, I get my six year old daughter to do that. You know, so that doesn't. But he was a punk. I, and Joey was the type of man that when he got up and slapped him around, if Roy fought back, Joey would, okay, so this is what the rule is. You, it's, you cannot put your hand on a made man. If you put your hands on a made man, you're going to get killed. So Joey was a made man. So maybe that had something to do with him running away. I don't know. But Joey would have been the type of guy that if Roy would have stood up and Roy would have fought Joey right there in that, in that office. That Joey wouldn't go running like some little bee to the mafia. Hey, he hit me. Go kill him. No, no. Joey would have took care of him right then and there. So now the story is May 1976 is when Joey got murdered at his shop and at, at Parliament in Roosevelt Avenue in Queens. And the story came out, who did it, way after Roy got killed. That Joey gave him a black eye and Roy said... And when, and when he was walking around with the black guy, people would say, what happened to you? And he said, well, the guy that did this, that was the last thing he'll ever do. And then he killed him. So I was 
I didn't know that part of the story. So when I heard that he got slapped around by Joey, I'm thinking it was the incident at the shop that why he got killed. But it doesn't look that way because that was 1973 and he was murdered in May of 1976, Joey. So one of your that, videos that, in one of your videos did you say that Roy had something to do with the killing of your girlfriend? No, I didn't say girlfriend. No, I okay, you missed just friend, it was just your friend. Your no, friend, he yeah. Roy I consider myself a, one of Roy's victims, family victims. Like when, you know, when you kill somebody, I mean, I've been around murder all my life. When you kill someone, you just don't hurt and kill that person. You kill, you kill for the rest of their life, mentally, the mother, the father, the sister, the brother, the daughter, the sons, you know, murder. And if you read my book, if you, you, you know how many murders I, I was, I worked the most prolific serial killer in New York's history. And that's what I was trying to get at before. Okay, so they say Roy killed 200 people. That's, I don't believe that. Because I worked the Joe Rifkin case where he tried to kill my girlfriend. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, I got confused. Yeah. That, that, that's Roy, that's the other serial killer. So Joe Rifkin was linked to as many as 40 homicides and confessed to 17. He was on number 18, which would have been Mary Catherine Williams, my ex-girlfriend, and uh, his lawyer showed up. So, but, so the state of New York's got Joel Rifkin as the most prolific serial killer in history, not because they have confirmed. So when somebody tells me he killed 200 people, I'm saying, well, where's the 200 bodies? And when, of course, we know what he did to them. We know that he liked the place in um, Queens where not only do you get to get rid of the body, you get to get rid of the crime scene, you know? And I, my understanding is he whacked a lot of people right in the car. What better place? You're on the freeway, pop, 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 and then you drive it and duck. So, so anyway, uh, where was I now? So that, that, that's, that's the, you know, the, like Brett from NYC Crime Spot and um, Quentin Walker, they researched this guy, Roy DeMeo, up, down, left, right, every way, and they put the number somewhere uh, about seventy-five. Could you tell not... the viewers? Could you tell the viewers how Roy met his demise? Yes. Well, what led up to it? Yes, please. Well, there was two things. First of all, Chris Rosenbaum went to Florida, and he tricked a bunch of Colombian, not Colombian, Cuban drug dealers that he was Chris uh, DeMeo, the son of Roy DeMeo or whatever. He was connected to him in some way. So they believed that. So this guy goes, okay, Columbia, uh, Cuban drug dealers, come up to Brooklyn and I want 15 kilos. I don't know what number it was. But I think it was, it must've been 10 or 15 kilos. At that time was going for, in, in New York, they were going for 20 to 25,000 a key back in, in that era right there in New York. So the, the, the Cuban guy shows up with him, another guy and a girl. Chris lures them into some place and kills all of them. So now the Cubans find out who Chris is 
and who Roy is. And they get to Roy and they go, hey, our people are dead. We want that guy dead or there's going to be a war. It's going to be a war. And, you know, the Cubans are no joke either. Now, the big problem for Roy is he had that big house out in Long Island. He had his family in the house. So, so um, then he gets ordered by Paul Castellano that get rid of that kid. Kill him. Kill him. Now, Roy and Chris were like father and son, brother and brother. They were very, very close. They knew each other since 1966. And now we're talking about 1979. So Roy and one of his other, they, they called him Dracula. You guys can look, all you mafia guys, they have all these friggin' names, I don't know. So Roy and Dracula are in his house, and all of a sudden they see a Cadillac pull up across the street and stop. And they can see it's a Hispanic-looking guy. And Roy, Roy at this point, was walking around his house with his handgun. He was walking around, had a bulletproof vest on. He was ready to do battle. This poor kid, who turned out to be a vacuum salesman, a college student, 18 years old, going door to door to sell vacuum cleaners. Roy and the other asshole comes running out and they just start shooting. The kid puts it in gear and I, I, I hope I get this part of the story right. And chased them for 15 miles in broad daylight, out the window, both of them are shooting, reloading, shooting at this kid, shoot up his car, and finally kill him. I saw the homicide photographs of the kid in the car dead. And Roy gets away with it. Nobody, I mean, Hundreds of people saw the car chase and like nobody called the cops. I don't know why. So then um, Roy, he's dead. Then Roy cut him off after the kid was already shot, went over and dumped his mag or revolver, whatever it was, in the kid's face, killed him. And then drove home. And then nothing happened until the next day when it was in the newspaper that an 18 year old vacuum salesman, young kid working his way through college, got assassinated on, in, a, in a car chase. So now Paul Castellano hears about this and he goes to Roy, because Roy was already ordered to whack, uh, to whack Chris. So now Roy just kills this kid and the mafia never, remember, remember I told you in the, when, we, when we first started this interview that the mafia never ki don't kill people, they just kill each other. But this time you killed somebody, an innocent guy made the, it was a kid and he was a good kid. He was, a, he, was, he was trying to work his way through college, selling vacuums and that piece of shit. See why I don't like him? See, and I, and I, you know, I have a new channel. I'm trying to be, you know, I'm a businessman. I, I own my. I had a successful private investigative company for 22 years, so I know all about how to take care of your clients. And so, I mean, I, I, when I when I see the views, every time I put his name up there, they go. So I, and all my viewers know I don't like him. I don't like what he did. He's burning. I, I, 
just don't even get me started with this guy. So anyway, so now he killed this innocent kid. So now Roy packs up his family and sends him off someplace. And now Paul Castellano goes, I want that guy dead and I want him dead now. So now the Cubans are in communication with Roy. And they say, not only do we want him dead, but we want to see the newspapers that he's been dead. So they had to sensationalize his murder. And do you know what do you know what they did? Or is this news to you, Sean? No, it's news to me. Okay. So this is what they did. So they bring Chris into the into the um, Gemini Lounge. I hope I get this right, Gemini. And he's sitting down and Roy goes, you want a cup of coffee? And Roy had a paper bag on the, on the shelf behind him. And he goes, yes. He goes, takes the paper, the gun out of the paper bag, puts it to his head, bang, bang. And it didn't kill him. Then there was another guy, the Tesla twins, and they just, they just shot him up. But that's not good enough. So now they take his dead body. They put it in his BMW. They put it in, I think they put it in the passenger side. Because I remember the photographs. And they drive it to this remote area by a, um, uh, um, an airfield. Where there's nobody there. And they had those old Tommy 45 caliber automatic machine guns like from the growing 20s you know the blah, 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 blah. and they parked the car they pulled their car up i think it was te uh, tesla the, what, no, the, the, the the twins the tesla twins whatever and they just riddled the car with bullets made a big scene and of course cops came and tesla tesla what's, what's his name that guy Te uh, tesla he's still alive he's in prison but anyway so they get the newspaper, boom, they mail it to the frigging guy down in Florida, and no problem. So that's what happened to um, Chris. So now, this is 1979, and Roy is out of control. He's a homicidal maniac. He's bringing a lot of heat to the mafia. And this, let me just say this. The reason that Joey was so good at what he did is because he flew under the radar. He wasn't a John Gotti with his $5,000 suits and making no a lot of noise. Nobody knew who Joey was because he flew under the radar. Now this guy, Roy, is just getting so much attention. Paul Castellano says he's got to go. So Roy knew that they, they were going to kill him. He knew, according to his son in his book, The Sins of My Father, I think it is. Uh, I saw an interview, um, he did a radio interview that I just saw. And he said that his father knew he was going to die. In fact, that day he, they called him for a meeting and he knew what that meant. So he left his, Roy left his wallet, his, his car, he left everything there and he just went. He went to the meeting and he was murdered. And they took his body, they shot him also. The other thing that they did, just like they did what he did to Joey, he shot Joey in the face five times. He effed up his face so that he couldn't have an open, um, uh, you know, 
shot him in the face. And um, that's what those guys did to him. They shot him in the face. And then a little later on, uh, there was some talk on the street that Roy's son, Albert, was going to get them. So instead of killing him, they went and they beat him up so bad they put they hospitalized him for like a, a week. They beat him. They broke his eye socket. They broke his jaw. So this is, um, you know, so they, so they wound up putting Roy. Roy had a chandelier that he was going to have repaired in the trunk. So they put his body in his own trunk, threw the chandelier on top of him, and they, and he, they parked it in Brooklyn. I think it was Sheepshead Bay, right by the ocean there. And uh, this was January. So the police found him like 10 days later, frozen like an ice pop, shot in the face five times. And that was the end of Roy the Mail. Did anyone get arrested for whacking him? No. So later on, yeah, yeah I, I stand corrected. Paul Castellano was eventually indicted for Roy's murder in 1984. He gets out on bail, 1985. Then John Gotti whacks him in front of the Sparks Steakhouse on 48th Street on the east side as they stepped out. They just, they just, they all had like Russian hats on and they shot him to, to, to send a message that no, you, you think you're safe in Midtown Manhattan. You ever been to Midtown Manhattan? Can you imagine? Well, you've seen pictures of it, right? Uh, you, you, you see people, it, when it was Christmas time, it was in December, it was people shopping for Christmas and they, and they had like six guys all identically dressed with Russian hats, black holes, and they just opened up, 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 they all got in the cars and just drove away and they got away with it. So Paul Castellano was under U.S. indictment. He had a federal indictment against him at that time for Roy's murder and a couple of other things. Wow, that is a hell of a story, Kevin. That is absolutely phenomenal. I really appreciate you, know you telling me that one. You know what? I, my, my, it's not that I'm a great storyteller. It's just that when I, you know, when I, when I tell a story, especially when my book was first published, I did a national book tour. I was on a bunch of TV shows, and and so when I tell, I'm I'm going to be 69 in April, but when I when I tell some of these stories, it's just like a projector is running inside my brain, and as it's running. I'm telling people what happened, you know. Um, Let's go with the prison one next then. The prison. Okay. So you were going to post the newspaper clippings of my great escape. Okay. Because I don't want to tell the story. You know, when, I, when this book was first published, they didn't have the internet in 1994. They didn't have the internet. So I'm telling all these stories. And people, like you, the subject of a book, right? My book was pu published by, by Carolyn Graff. And this one over here, if you could tell, right over here, if you can see that right there, Simon & Schuster. Simon & Schuster is the largest book publishing company in the world. You just don't stroll in there with a bunch of stories and they don't send their fact checkers out to fact check everything that is fact checkable. 
Oh, I like the way that came out. See, I'm trying to show up because these English, one thing I hate about these English guys is they master the English language. They're so clever the way they put words and they just, oh, damn. I, I, when I used to get in trouble, I used to say, man, I, what do you call a lawyer over there? A barrister? They put the wig on? I said, boy, I wish I could have one of those guys over here. So just lean over to the jury box and give them my story. A, a barrister of the old Bailey. Have you heard of the old Bailey? Yes, yeah, and I got a London story for you too that'll blow your mind. And here, it's right here. You, you know what this magazine is? Oh, put it down because YouTube no, has no, a problem no, with that. No, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. I know. Right I gotta take that out. I gotta take that out of the video yeah, because no. YouTube. Okay, so tell YouTube, you. Uh, okay. YouTube will take the whole video down. No, I put mine whole... No, I did it with mine. They didn't. They didn't put it. Yeah, because you, if you've got a big channel, they will. If you've got a big channel, they do. Oh, yeah. well, we'll, we'll excuse yeah. me. all right. I've written it down. I've written it down. I only got a little channel, so I guess they're going to take it down. So I'm in the March issue of 1996 issue of Penthouse Magazine. They did the first serial to this book, uh, which meant that they did like a – they put a, <laughs> they, they painted a centerfold of me about romancing a jailed mafia hitman's wife that wound up being – the vice president of circulation for the largest magazine and the oldest magazine in the UK. Now I'm going to ask my friend over here. Do you know what the name of that magazine is? Largest circulation in USA. Did you say? And the oldest. I think right when when she worked for them, it was 140 something years old. Oh my goodness. The only magazines I saw in America was like, you know, the Inquirer. Magazine. No, no, the Inquirer. My, my, she also worked for that one. It's the largest and oldest magazine publication in Great Britain. Very prestigious magazine. Must be 160 years old. The Observer? Uh, no, The Economist. <laughs> Oh, the I used I used to read the Economist all the time. You did. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a degree in economics. Well, well duh. I, I knew that. Too. I didn't want to make him look too bad, but I know he's just an economics guy. And that the Economist is not named for nothing. It's the economy. <laughs> and I get you like this. You're gonna cut that out, aren't you? Yeah, you're gonna cut. No, out. we'll keep we'll keep that in. Well, just that. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I romance the jail mafia hitman's wife that winds up being having a very prestigious, and I don't have to tell you about certain Brits. Yes, they have their tea at four o'clock, and oh, this girl's a her her husband was a mafia hitman's wife, and your new husband's a FBI informant. <laughs> that's beautiful, but that's another story. So what are we talking about now? Where am I? Now? You said you, the prison story you were going to tell oh, me. Prison story. Okay, so you gotta you gotta put this newspaper up. So yeah, we'll do. So when you, I don't know the way it was. Who published your book? When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed and we start our day with Coro Snacks. Coro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and 
Of course, the snacks. Oh, these Syrian pumpkin seeds from Caro are amazing. I have them on my cheese and toast every morning. You've been getting into them, Jen? Yes, and all the health benefits it brings. <laughs> Lashings of them. Right. Pop this in the oven then. So what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Coro cares about sustainability. Their bulk packs save on packaging material compared to small single packs. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. So, Random House. Random, random House is big, big too. So, when you tell your true stories to them, if they're going to print a book, then this book goes to, buy, it's either in the true crime section of the bookstores or by, under biography, because it's my biography. It's not, a, uh, uh, it's not uh, an, an autobiography, it's a biography. I didn't write it, Charles Kitts wrote it. So, um, when the manuscript is done, you, you, first you get the book deal, and I also had a movie deal too, right here. Paramount Pictures, wow. $50 million theatrical feature film. I had Universal, Ooh. Paramount, MGM. All, and I wanna talk about that, but maybe not this time, but I'm like, my stories are such that Hollywood came knocking at least nine times and paid me all kinds of option money. So anyway, to get back to the story here, any story in this book that's verifiable, they have a law firm, that, that fact checking. So when the first book came out in 96, um, I told them about this story and that I was on TV. I know I was on TV because I saw myself when I went to prison. I was like a friggin' celebrity in prison. I was like, I was worried about getting raped and all these bad things. That, meanwhile, not realizing the worst place, I, the worst prison in the world is that zoo Rikers Island. So, um, they tried to fact check it and they, they said, well, if you were in the newspapers and I knew I was in the newspapers because when all the CEOs would come in, they would have that paper and they would walk right up to my cell and go, oh, tell me about your escape story. <laughs> and that's what I, what I would do. So um, they couldn't find it. They couldn't find it. So, but I had so many FBI agents, law enforcement, everybody, everybody would say, if, he, if, that, if he says that happened, it happened unfamiliar with upstate New York, which is, New York State's a big place. Okay, so now we go to this book, Simon & Schuster. Simon & Schuster republished my book because one of the women that I would marry to was a woman by the name of Danielle Stav of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. So they flashed my book to promote their TV show because her mugshot's in there. And anyway, so now, this book has already been up from 1996 to 2009. Simon & Schuster still unleashed their fact checkers, three lawyers. And they go to try to find the, the escape story. Because I was on, I tell them I was on the news. That was part of the, part of the story has to do with the media being, when I, when I got caught, being there and me being on television and in the newspapers. Okay, so I, told, I thought I was in a town called Ithaca, famous for its guns and college. I wasn't in Ithaca. So when everybody was looking for newspaper articles from Ithaca, which is 400 miles away from a town called Indicott, that's where it really happened. 
So one of my my viewers called me out. Says, "Ah, you're full of crap." You and she was a journalist. She was a freaking journalist from from uh, Boston. That's why I say you can't lie in this business. You lie. There's people googling you, and some of the things that they find out is unbelievable. So she calls me out. So I go, "Well, why don't you check that out?" So she did, and she pulled up the newspaper clipping, <laughs> and it was like. The story was even better than I remembered. I didn't, know the, I didn't know where all the bullets went. So, okay. So now, Sean is going to put up the article. I mean, I did a video on it. Okay, so so that happened September second, September seventh, nineteen seventy two. Why were you in custody first? I was I, because I got locked up and I wouldn't snitch. And they gave me four years. The charge was reckless endangerment in the first degree, which was a high-speed car chase from 233rd Street in the Bronx to the Catskill Mountains. Cop cars got crashed. So I wound, I wound up. And then, then they tried to get me to snitch on these guys that I used to rob banks with. I was a wheelman for the mob. That's another story. See how this branches out? So anyway, anyway, where was I? I, I um, you, you said the date of the escape. Oh, so that were you, is. Were you, were you in? Were you in transportation? Yes. So listen. So listen. To what happened? So, the 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 correctional. So anyway, it was September seventh. So I was in September eighth newspapers, right? And um, um, I did a video on the fiftieth anniversary of my escape. So if you look at my channel, you see September. So I did it 50 years ago. So I just found out all of these new, I found out people's names, the cop, every, everybody, I, I, the, the bullet the, when they were shooting at me hit a guy's van. And stop, they even stop, had, stop, stop, stop. You're jumping, you're jumping whoa, ahead. Whoa. Set, set, the, set the scene, set the scene. Set the, set scene. the scene. Okay. So I just get sentenced two weeks prior to four years in prison. It was called an indeterminate sentence, not, not, not less than one day, no more than four years, depending on your conduct. And I guess escaping, well, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to max out. <laughs> I didn't even get there and I'm in trouble already. So um, three correction officers. I was in Rikers Island Hospital. Three, so I'm sentenced. Two weeks later, they come. Three, three correctioners, three, three correct, transportation correction officers, New York City, Correction office, transportation correction officers show up at the hospital. Kevin Moore, yep, you're going upstate. Pack your shit up. Go. So I so I go, walk out of the hospital, and there's a 1968 Green Fury 1 um, station wagon, unmarked New York City correction officer vehicle, uh, office vehicle. So they bring me down. They put me in the back seat. The, the, the second row back seats. Then there's a third row that lifts up and you get to look out the back window. Okay. And that, that seats three. So Rikers Island is really in Queens. So the four of us get into the car and the cops, the correctional officers start reading my record. Oh, this is like nothing. You got a car chase. Uh, you're going to be out. You already got a, a year in. You're going to be out in the next, this time next year, you're going to be out, kid. Don't worry about it. So now I further gain their confidence by telling them, hey, do you know a guy by the name of Eddie Lacey? 
And I go, sure. These are older guys, right? Older meaning like 45, I guess. I'm, I'm 18 years old. So they go, yeah, we know Eddie Lacey. I said, that's my second cousin. He works in C76. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, kid. So now we're driving upstate. So we did one pit stop at the Bronx South Detention, which is on River Road and the, and the Major Deegan Highway. And we pick up. Keep going. Road. Keep going. I'm just changing my battery. Keep going. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, we arrive at the at the um, Bronx House of Detention. They bring these two big Puerto Rican guys down, and he, they take me and they put me in the back seat, facing out a little jump seat thing, and and they put the two Puerto Ricans in there, and now I'm squished. Sort of, sort of. The, the one correction officer goes, "Hey, come on." Come with me. <laughs> he takes me out, closes the door on him too, and I'm sitting handcuffed in the front, and I'm sitting behind the driver. And so they're looking at my record. They go, oh, this guy's the car guy. So we're going, we're going with 40 miles to, uh, to uh, Elmira Prison, which is a reception center. You go there for two months, they evaluate you, and then they, they send you to whatever prison they think is best going to fit you based on your crime and and so on and how you acted there for two months so it's a minor reception center so they pull over to get gas oh no 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 let me tell you what happened so on the way up about an hour before we went to gas the car starts shaking da, 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 da. i said well, you go, you go, what the fuck is that so the one the correction officer gets out he walks around he can't see nothing why is the boy but i'm seeing it da, 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 da. so i know it's a it's a bubble. It's, it's a bubble, something wrong with one of the tires. And if you can't see it on the outside, you gotta get on the floor and look under. He goes, Hey, you know all about cars. He goes, he goes, <laughs> come on, let's figure this out because it's getting really loud now. So the two correction officers take the two Puerto Ricans and they walk them about 50 feet, they put their badge on out and they both got their guns out, right? Now I lean down on the pet on the driver's side rear tire, I look on underneath it as a big friggin' bubble. I go, hey, that's the problem right here. Now this correctional officer's got his gun right on his right hip, right? So they're 50 feet away. So we're looking for, we get the jack. The jack was on the side, on, on the rear. He gets the jack, so now we're missing the crowbar to pop off the hubcap and break the, the lugs, right? So he, so I'm, I'm, I'm bending over with the guy and his gun is like right there. I could have just snatched it, boom, and left them for fools right there on the highway. But that wasn't me. So then he goes, then we're looking for the bar to, 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 to uh, jack it up, you know, the handle, the crowbar. And he says, look, he goes to me, he's all the way in the back seat, the back of the car, which is about 20 feet, it's a big full-size station wagon. And he goes, check under the seat. He goes, check under the seat for the bar and he's over at the end of the car and the other two correction officers and the two prisoners are 50 feet away from that sitting have, the, have those guys sitting there so i go okay now let me explain to you something else about me i was a maniac behind the wheel of a car i mean that's why the mafia hired me to be a wheel man they always said if you could make it from the bank to the fucking car with this kid you're never gonna get because i was crazy but i was also extremely talented i was i was i knew what i was doing behind the wheel so i take a deep breath he's bending down i take a deep breath and i start walking towards the open driver's door 
And I'm thinking, if that key is in that ignition, I'm leaving them all behind. They'll be eating my smoke. You know, I'm figuring out they're going to shoot too. So I get up. I, I get the thing and close the door. And back then, the, 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 the keys weren't in the, in, in the column. And ah, ah, no key. <laughs> no key. But did that stop me from scheming? No, it didn't. So now we jack up the car. We all get back in, in our same spots. They put the handcuffs on, like really so loose, I could have just went like this. And now they got to get gas. And they pull off the road to a gas station in Intercot, New York. And I go, hey, I got to take a leak and I got to wash my hands. It's no problem. So I go to get out with the handcuffs. And this is where the cop made the big mistake. He took the handcuffs off. He goes, yeah, no, 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 no. He goes, yeah. His last words to me were, you're not going to, you're not going nowhere. That's what his last words to me were. So I opened the door to the bathroom in the gas station. I opened the door. He goes ahead of me. Now, he, he made so many mistakes. He had his guard completely down. So he, I opened the door. And basically, I thought about it. As soon as he, because I opened the door thinking he's going to go in and I'm just going to run. That's what I was gonna do. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm gonna go up there. I was a good-looking kid too. Let me tell you something. I was a good-looking blonde-haired blue. I did very well with the ladies, and I'm thinking I'm gonna do even better with the boys up there. <laughs> what the fuck am I? I'm like, oh, I survived I can barely survive Rikers Island. They mainly because they knew everybody from the Bronx there. I had all my boys there. I had my black friends. I, I got away with it. Now I'm thinking, fucking all these Schenectady fuckers there. Holy shit. So he goes in and he immediately goes to the urinal on the left. Now straight ahead was a partition for where you take a crap, right? And there's a little door. So now he's up against the wall. I open the fucking door and there's an open window. Oh, shit. Boom. And I close the door and I make like I'm sitting down. And of course, nobody wants to hear nobody taking a dump. So he, he goes, I'll wait for you outside. Okay. As soon as that door closed, I go, like, you ever see the 1950s television series Superman? Well, I didn't even have the spring, but I just go. And, and I was 18 years old. I was in the down for almost two years. I was, I was pumped. I was in good, good, good condition. I fly out the window. So bang, right into a rose bush, and I got all cut up, up, and I just, boom, I'm fucking gone. Now these guys are all like 30, 50 pounds overweight. They're fucking, I'm gone, boom, now I don't know where the fuck I am. All I'm thinking of is I got to find a piece of metal. Like if I had a flathead screwdriver, I could steal at that time any cuff. Like a 64 Chevy, that a butterfly, 64 and down, I could have stole any one of those cars with just a piece of metal. So I'm looking for a piece of metal, I'm walking around, I'm bleeding bad. Those rose bushes, they, they shredded me. I, Cause I fell in it and I just, I just fucking gone. So they of course call the police. Now, 
a lot of people in, on my channel ask, well, well, well what, didn't you get charged? No, I didn't get charged because they didn't have these on. They, they just wanted, they wanted to make that go away. So I'm gone for about 40 minutes and it was back to school time, according to the newspaper. And everybody was shopping for uh, school clothes for their kids and supplies. And I was on a place called Washington Avenue. Big avenue filled with stores. And I'm trying to blend in. And I hear the sirens. And I'm starting to hear helicopters. Like, holy crap, what, what the fuck did I just do? So I'm walking down the street in the crowds. And here comes the three Keystone cops with the two Puerto Ricans in the back. Three Keystone cops and two Puerto Ricans in the back. <laughs> Is that not a rap song? I don't know. <laughs> So I see this stupid green thing coming at me. I'm walking right towards it. And all of a sudden, Gavin! Gavin! So I run right towards him and I pass him. So now, now, don't forget, now I, I know where everything is because I we got the newspaper article. So I'm running and this guy was like in his mid, maybe even 50. He, he ain't catching me. <laughs> and now all the cops down that helicopters are, are coming. I think they, I think it was a military helicopter because they don't have those, no muscles. <laughs> they had the National Guard after me. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? So I'm running down Washington. I make a left. And back then I seen the GPS of, of what it looks like now. It's completely different. I look to the left and there's nothing. It's just like private houses, big street. And then I see, I run to the left and then I see a car coming out of a driveway. So I go, fuck, I'm, I'm, I went for that. So now I'm in the, the, the alleyway, which is called alley, um, I think, I forget what it's called, alley pump, no, not alley pump. It's it's called some the alley actually has it has a street name and it's on Google and it's on in the in the article. So I run up the alley. And now I as I get as I'm running, I go, shit, I see a brick wall. It's a big alley, and I see a brick wall with buildings that go to Washington Street and that other street. And it's a brick wall. And I go, oh shit, and here he comes. So I'm thinking it's a brick. So I'm about ready to turn around and go back because I'm thinking it's a dead end. And then I see a car pull through. So now I go, oh, I can get out that way. So I'm running up the alleyway. And here comes this idiot. He goes, stop, Kevin, stop. Bang. I'm, I watched the round hit the brick wall. Now, it's one thing to get shot at. I've been in several gunshots, shootouts. It's one thing to get shot, bang, get shot at, bang. And it, it, if it doesn't hit you, it doesn't count, except with this one. When it, you hit a bang and then you see the round hit that friggin' brick wall and take a chunk out of it. So he's got a six foot, six shot Victor Wesson revolver. Bang, Kevin, stop, bang, stop, bang. And I see the one bullet. I heard it go past my ear. You, you know, anybody wants to test that, they can test. You can actually feel it suck the friggin' air out of my eardrum. Whoa! And now he fired. He has one bullet left, and I'm and I'm I'm so panicked. I'm out of breath. 
I lose my shoe. Now I'm in civilian clothes because in Rikers, you don't, they don't give you a uniform. They give you stay in your civilian clothes. I, I lo lose my shoe. Now I'm coming up to the corner where, where there's a driveway that leads back onto Washington Street. And now I'm so pumped up with adrenaline and fear. It's a funny uh, things. I, I, you know, you would think adrenaline would make you fight better or run faster. So, but I, I couldn't breathe. And I remember going, bang, the, the fifth round, bang. I went like I was shot and I was stumbling and I just grabbed the corner of the brick wall and I pulled myself, boom, made a right turn and bang, the next one goes. He shoots the next one, boom, I just get, I had to stop him shooting because those bulls went right by my ear when the fucking guy's trying to get a headshot. I pull myself around. Now I'm, I'm right back on Washington Street. And that building that was getting shot with the bullets was, um, I forget the name of it. It was a record store. Not the name of it's in the paper. You're going to post that. You'll be able to put that in the description, right? So um, I walk into the store. I'm completely out of breath. And I'm limping because... I only got one shoe. <laughs> so I walk in and I see this beautiful girl named Nancy. How do I know her name is Nancy? Because 50 years later, her name is in the newspaper. They, the the, the, um, the uh, newspaper person, it was a gal, did a very thorough job. She interviewed everyone. So, and, then, and while he was shooting me too, shooting at me, that car that went by, he shot that car right in the grill. He shot that guy. And, and we have his name as well. So anyway, I walk in, I'm limping, and I was a pretty good looking guy back then. I'm pretty good looking. I look at some of my old photographs. So I give her a look. I, I'm, she's behind the register, and I just gave her a look. And like I said, I'm limping because I only got one shoe. <laughs> I go right to the back. And it was a storage area, and there was a chain on the back door. So I couldn't get out. And it was a concrete staircase that went down like one flight to the basement. Because in New York, we have basements, not like out here in California. So I go down the, the stairs and there's another steel door that's locked. So I'm trapped at the bottom of that concrete staircase. So I'm thinking this chick is cool because I looked her right in the eye. I just looked her right in the eye and I. Guess she saw the fear, I don't know. So here comes the cop. Gun and shoe. He's got the gun and he's got the shoe. <laughs> and we find who, who fits this shoe. <laughs> and he comes in, hey, did you see him right up? Get in there. She goes, no. she goes, what did he do? He never mind what he did. No, get out, get out. She goes the guy out and I'm listening to everything downstairs. Get in my pants. And they leave. And then now. What did I do? What the fuck did I do? I'm like, I'm 18 years old. Just think of it. Eight years earlier, I was only 10 years old. I mean, this guy blasted me. Anyway, 
So I'm back there. So now the helicopters, now all the police cars. I hear everybody that set up a perimeter. And then they go, they go, where the f-? So now not only did I escape once, Sean, I had now escaped twice. I, 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 I did it twice to them. And these guys were pissed off. So now remember this. The one cop emptied his gun, right? Remember that story. Emptied the gun. So then they come back and they're really pissed off now. Did that kid come there? He has to be here. No, I don't know. And she's trying to throw them out. She's trying to throw you if I find him in here. And here he comes running. I hear him coming running and I'm trapped down here. And there he is. Why, you little bitch. I spoke to you like a son. Get up here. You forgot to kill you. So I start walking up the staircase. This guy's like 250. Bang! He kicks me. You know, when fucking sore starts. Boom, broke. To this day, my bottom teeth gone. Bang! On concrete staircase. Boop, 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 boop. Down. I'm fucking seeing stars. Get up! Get up! I'll kill you! I'll kill you! Get up! And this is not the guy that shot all the bullets. This is the other guy. So now what I found out earlier is that when they started showing their credentials, Intercot police took those two Puerto Rican guys into custody, into the into the precinct while this search was going on. So they were in the bullpen of that, of that precinct. So, so get up, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. And he's cocking the gun and he's dropping the hammer and he's got, get the fuck up, get up here again, you little fuck, you guy. And then he starts going like this. I got 20 years. Just Joe Blow's got 25 years. We we got 72 years of service for you, lousy four years. Get up here. Get the fuck up! So now I'm crawling. I'm, I, I don't know what's going on. And I get to the top. And as I get to the top, my hero shows up. And, you know, again, I, I, I uh, what was his name? You got to put this newspaper article up. I sent it to you. The sergeant, whatever his name was. And he appears on scene just as that guy kicks me down the stairs again. And I'm going down and I see this big, you know, state trooper looking guy with fancy uniforms, not like New York City uniforms. And he grabs that guy's gun and he takes him by the neck and he pins him up against the wall. And he says, I don't know where the fuck you, how you practice law where you come from, but this is my time. I should lock you up. You understand me? And he takes his gun. Then he goes, and this is this is like like something a scene out of a movie. And again, you know, it's funny when I when I tell the story in the book from 1994, and you read the newspaper, there was no embellishing. In fact, the newspaper even told an even more incredible story than the one I'm going to tell. But you know, that's why I you know I pride my when I. When I get these trolls, I'm sure you got trolls. Oh, you're lying, you're foolish. That really pisses me off. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, I, you know, you can't lie on the internet. You'll get caught. You'll, you'll, you'll get somebody's gonna Google you, Google you. One time I did get caught, and then actually that was the girl that found the newspaper clipping of this incident. Because don't forget, I thought I was in Ithaca, not in the car. Four hundred miles away. Everybody's googling that. Even when they printed this book. Diamond and Shoes' attorney says, you know what, we got to pull this out. I said, wait a minute, this book's been over, over 10 years out. If, if, if that was a lie, somebody would have said it, and they, they couldn't find it. But then, I don't know what happened. They decided to put this story in, but this story almost got deleted from, the, from this book. So <laughs> he, he, he 
throws the guy up against the wall and I'm watching him. I'm downstairs. I could see the whole thing unfold. And he goes, Kevin, are you okay? I go, yeah, come on up. Come on up. No, no one's going to hurt. I, I, so I thought he was going to fuck me up too. I mean, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, I've, I've taken some pretty good beatings, but you haven't gotten hit in, in, until you got kicked by a 250 pound pissed off correctional officer. So I'll tell you right now, that guy kicked me with everything he owned and how, how I, I didn't get, my whole face was up. So he goes, you're okay. And he helped me up. So I put my hands out to be handcuffed. And right in front of that prick, you know what he said? You're not going anywhere. Come on. Come on. Don't try anything stupid. Come on. Then go, go. Then I go outside. The whole freaking place is lit up with state police. and freaking, Holy shit. I don't know what they told him. So he puts me in the car. And we go to uh, Indicott Police Department. Now, this is very important. The crime of escape happened in Indicott jurisdiction. I don't know what county that is up there in upstate New York. So now I am that cop's prisoner. No longer. No, he arrested me. They got me. They're going to have me arrested, charged, arraigned, and, and everything like that. But oh no, the correction officers, they don't want that to happen because, oh, they want to keep this as quiet as possible because I don't have no handcuffs on. Let them explain that. How they get through the freaking window. So now... Now they put me in this little bullpen with the other two Puerto Rican guys in a squad room. And they took all of their guns because they had to examine them to see if they because bullets were hitting people's cars and shit. I mean, I'm, I must have driven those three guys crazy. It was the worst day of their whole life. Their, their whole career went down. 60, 70 years of career of time for my four years. That's all that prick said. So I'm, now I'm in the, in the cop, cop car. I'm, I mean, I'm in the in the bullpen, and um, they took all of their guns, and now they're on the phone, and I could hear everything they say because I'm right there, and this is like the little small detective bureau, and and they're on the phone to their boss. How did he get that? Who the fuck? Did you talk? What the fuck? How did you lose an 18 year old kid? You got another agency involved? What the fuck? And he's getting chewed out in the fucking. And then the other prick comes over to me and he goes, "Hey, you know what? You little fucking out now. Now these these two now these two Puerto Rican guys. They all they want to do is go do their bed and come home. They they what the fucking what they went for Imagine the two Puerto Rican guys." Well, I'm sitting in the middle of them. And he goes, and the cop goes to me. That's why in the newspaper, you'll see what I said. So the cop goes to me. He goes, uh, we got another 40 miles to go. And in that 40 miles, you're going to escape again. And I'm going to blow your fucking brains out. I'm going to blow your brains out. You got that? You understand? Hmm? And now the two Puerto Rican guys go, oh, shit. Well, if they kill him, they must going to have to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> there the sergeant that, that got me because now he arrested me right so um and the guy felt sorry for me the guy was just the one i forget his name i'm sorry i did forget his name i did call in the cut police department up six months ago i spoke to the detective up there and i learned that that detective passed away in 2001 and that he has uh, kids in the bronx so i i found out who he was 
So, and I'm going to tell you the wonderful part about this, like this story is just like, like, I didn't just run away. And I mean, there's so many aspects of this story, some of which I only learned by that two page uh, uh, newspaper clipping. So um, the sergeant comes back in. So now they go, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with me. New York City correction officers don't want to charge me. So their boss got on the phone. Listen, we're not going to charge them. We're just going to just take them back up there and dump them. And that's good. We're going to tell the prison that he escaped and let them put him in a bing, uh, solitary confinement. And so, um, so then that cop, sergeant, whatever his name is, I, I'm so terrible with names, said, okay. So then as he walked past me, I said, listen, sergeant, please don't put me back with these guys. He's just threatened to kill me. Ask these two guys, they're going to kill me. He's going to say, please, please don't let them take me. Because now I'm like shitting in my pants because I believed him. I heard one of the bullets go through my... So now, this is the pretty funny part. So now, remember I told you the first correction officer dumped all his bullets? Well, he didn't bring any with him, any extras with him, because what could possibly go wrong? It's a routine trip from Rikers Island to Elmira. They do it all the time. What could possibly go wrong? And if there, and if there was going to be a problem, it certainly wouldn't be with the Irish kid. It would be with those two Puerto Ricans. Better keep an eye on those two Puerto Ricans. You don't know what they're up to, you know? <laughs> I was the one that you So anyway, so now everything's set up. The media is in the front of the police station. They're all there. That place is close to a town called Binghamton. And that was a Binghamton TV news uh, crew. So... They hand, so so now they go like this. They start giving their guns back with the cylinder open. Boom! Give it to one guy. He still got five bullets, six bullets. The other guys got six bullets. Then they hand the, the, the bullets to that jerk off. Here you go. Here, here your gun is, and his shit is empty. So he's going, hey, uh, my gun's empty. Can anybody? And the, and those cops and those corrections, they didn't like each other. Because they each one thought they had the authority. They were having a pissing contest over. I'm sitting there and I'm watching. I'm just watching the havoc. They had the mayor of that city on the phone. And, I, and, I, and these two guys, they just wanted, just wanted to beat my ass. But we were in such a small, we were in a cage designed for like one guy. We were just on the bench handcuffed. Right. So, so the guy starts saying, hey, listen, is anybody, can anybody lend me some bullets? I don't have no bullets left. He, he left there for the last 40 miles bullet list. <laughs> they only have six, 12. So I'm thinking, okay, if I do get out of this, there's only 12 bullets I got to dump between the two of them. So, so I'm coming out. They have me handcuffed in, with a belt in front, and they have my legs shackled. And I go, hell no, I'm not going. Fuck you, get, I'm not going, I'm not going. So they grabbed me. They took the back seat, you know, the, 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 the seat in the, the third row. They flattened that out. So now it's a flat steel surface thing to the second row of seats, right? So now they got the three correction, they got the two correction officers in the front seat. They got one in the back seat and the two Puerto Ricans over there. And now they have the door down and here's, here's this female reporter. And she goes, hey, could you tell me? Could you tell me what happened? How did you escape? I said, I don't know, but they're gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the last quote. 
of the newspaper. <laughs> They're gonna kill me. And they go <laughs> into the car. So now that sergeant, that sergeant goes, nobody's gonna kill you. I promise you, nobody's gonna kill you. We get in the car and they take off. And I turn around and I look. It was that sergeant's police car. He rode their bumper out of his own jurisdiction, some 40 miles from Indicott to Elmira. And he was right on their ass the whole time. So uh, again, a testament of, you know, people. I mean, you know, my, my, my story is about people. It's sometimes the good guys are bad. Sometimes the bad guys are good. And, and that's one thing I've learned. And you did what? You did six in, in, in prison? Don't six in Arizona it. State. The first uh, 26 months was in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's Maricopa County. Uh, that, well, when I was there, he wasn't the sheriff. Did he, have, did he have you in that tenth thing with the orange? No, I was in medium and maximum. What, what year were you there? I was there in 90. Oh, was that before he came in then? That was before he came in. I was just in the regular pods on Madison Street. And Phoenix, is that where it is, the, the jail? Layer? Madison Street. By the time I was in Madison Street, which was in 2003, Madison Street was max security. Yeah. Well, I got charged with DWI and, and reckless endangerment again. I was Did you get the up. green bologna and the, the moldy bread? No it, no, it wasn't that bad. No, it actually wasn't that bad. It had the two, it had the, the pods. We were in pods with two floors. And like the day room with the where you eat over there, it, it wasn't um, that wasn't too bad. But I understand that the penitentiary over there is a lot of gang guys, a lot of uh, Mexican mafia guys are in that place. As Aryan well. Brotherhood, huh? Aryan Brotherhood, Aryans too. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have yeah. that. I, I, it was a, when I went to prison. It was a different time and place. You know, you could just go and do your time and mind your own business. It wasn't like shot callers coming in and saying, I want you to, you got to do this and you got to do that. And maybe even kill people. It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. I, you, you just mind you, you know, when I went up there, we had handball courts. And so we had the blacks, the Puerto Ricans and the whites. And you had your own handball court when you went out to the yard. And it was, it was for the most part. I mean, I went to Sing Sing, Greenhaven, Elmira and, um, was it Sing Sing, Elmira, Greenhaven, and Kaksaki? <laughs> What's Kaksaki? Four state prisons. I was in uh, Mayor Paco County Jail in, in uh, Phoenix. I think I did like three months in there. And I did uh, Bronx House of Detention, Queens House of Detention. I was in the tombs bef before they closed it down. That, that was a bad place. Rats the size of cats. Rats besides the cats. And, uh, but anyway, okay, so I, I keep going. So anyway, that cop who now I found out his name, I found out even where he's buried. He died in his wife's arms of 50 years. He was married to that woman, had three kids. I found out everything about him. Oh, I, I, my friends did, my friends did. And um, so we land at Elmira. And the cops get out, they take me, they unshackle me. And I go in and I turned and I said, thank you so much, God bless you. I waved to him and he told me, 
They pulled me in and he waited until the doors opened up. Because you just don't go up to prison and the doors open up. They got to show things, they thing unlocks. And I go, he stood there outside the door of his police car oh. and made sure I was all right. Wow, what a story, Kevin. I mean, I mean, when you started, you had some guests that were talking about prison and doing time. Well, well, funny thing happened to me on the way to prison, and that doesn't happen very often. I don't know why all these things always happen to me, but <laughs> they do. There's, there's no denying it. You can't deny it. It's, it's in publications and had books written about me and. Do you want to, Kevin? Do you want to tell little the viewers a little bit about your book and your YouTube channel? Okay, so a couple years ago, um, I got COVID, so and, and I couldn't even. I, I have a thirteen-year-old daughter now. I had an eleven-year-old daughter then, and she's like my world. And she oftentimes spends times with her grandparents down in way down Palm Springs. So I didn't want to pick up my daughter um, in fear of giving her the stuff and then she gives it to the, my mother and father-in-law and I didn't want that. So I didn't, I didn't see my daughter for four months. So what did I do in those four months? I discovered this and I'm, I'm, I'm a computer illiterate, bad. I mean, my daughter had to set this thing up here. I don't know how to set this thing up. I, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes than get on a computer. It never works for me. It never fucking, every time I, it never works. So um, I started watching YouTube channel and boom, who, who's on YouTube? Sammy the Bull Gravano just started his YouTube channel two years ago. So Sammy is um, a very interesting guy. He, he's a great storyteller and um, I'm watching him and I'm watching each one of his episodes and I go, well, Kevin, that story is just as good or better than that one. And, this other story is just as good or better than that one. So why don't you do a YouTube channel? And this is the way I compare Sammy the Bull Gravano's channel to me. Now, Sammy the Bull Gravano's got a lot more notoriety than I do because don't forget, I was a confidential, uh, confidential informant. So really nobody knew anything about me until this book here was published. And you've been in prison. So what set of balls do you need to, number one, admit that you were an informant? I was a paid informant. I never put anybody in jail in my place. I didn't do that. I wound up being a paid informant. And in 1989, I was the highest paid informant in the Justice Department. So I got my picture right there. Right, where is it? Right there. I don't give a, I'm not ashamed of anything that I've ever done. I've never, I looked at it as a job, but anyway, that's about who I am. Now, what was the question again? What, what are, about your YouTube channel. You're telling the oh, viewers, so Sam, watching, Sammy the Bull, Sammy the I'm Bull. I'm watching Sammy the Bull's channel and, you know, I'm going, this guy's channel is great if you like vanilla ice cream. If all you eat is vanilla ice cream, Sammy the Bull Gravano's channel is where you want to be. Because I compare his channel to an ice cream parlor. You know, you go into Sammy the Bull Gravano's ice cream parlor, but all you're going to get is vanilla ice cream. When you come to my channel, you're going to get every flavor in the book. You don't know what story is I'm going to tell or who, was who I was involved with. Or you don't know. It could be uh, the Iceman. I worked that case. 
Joel Rifkin, the most prolific serial killer I caught in the act. I was on the Maury Povich show. All kinds of headlines that were generated over that. I mean, and so, I mean, if you heard, I mean, don't forget, I'm from New York City. I'm from the Bronx. And all of these mafia stories that Sammy tells are all stories we heard on the 6 and 11 o'clock news at night. It's like, no, you know, but when you look at my stories and you see the things that happened to me, the most incredible thing about me is how many times over how many decades that I wind up being at the wrong place at the right time. And, and then I think that once I was there, I made decisions that I think few people would make. I just, I just did things that were like, even by New York standards were over the top, over the top. Which makes, which is what makes you so interesting, Kevin. You're you're a, you're a phenomenal storyteller. I mean, we've, we've interviewed almost a thousand people on this channel and you're, you're near the top, man. You're near the top. Just, we did two stories today. That's, we did two hours. I imagine you've got a whole shitload more stories and that uh, if this ain't this book. Don't forget when my book was published. I don't know if I told you, the editor edited 125 pages out of it because it would have cost them double to produce the book. So uh, there's a whole bunch of st- stuff that I haven't even touched on. And like I so, said, it's like, like all over the place from my celebrity ex-wife to you don't know what kind of story is gonna <laughs> come out. I mean, I don't know. So for the people watching this, then if you want more stories. Go over to Kevin's channel. The link will be in the description box below this video. I'll have the link to his book and anything else he wants to put down there. And if you want to see Kevin back on my channel, please let us know in the comments because I've had so much fun today. I've been on the edge of my seat for two hours. It's gone that fast. Well, let me let me tell you, let me say one thing. For all the people, I mean, this guy, this bald-headed guy over here, he's pretty famous. Dude. For all you people <laughs> that... Who, what do they do? Commented to have me on. I thank you. My daughter thanks you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Kevin. Really appreciate that. You have a great rest of your night then um, over there in, in uh, America. And take care, my friend. Really appreciate you spending time with us. God bless, bro. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. End this.